Well, today we are closing out this, this series, kind of a unique series for us, something that we've uh, never done before, but it, it, it's a series called Encore, which is basically an encore presentation of, of one of the teaching series that we looked at last year. In fact, o- over the last several weeks, we've given you the opportunity to vote on um, your favorite teaching series, to rank them um, from first, second, and third. We had 11 teaching series that we looked at last year, and, and so we gave you the opportunity to vote on your top three. And you've done just that, and, and so what's made this series kind of difficult is that some of these series that you voted on were multiple weeks, like four, five, six weeks, and so we've tried to condense it down so that we could ch- just give you a one-day event, if you will. And um, so at times it's been kind of difficult, but the number one vote getter was the series one, which we looked at a few weeks ago. The number two vote getter was the series 30 days, if you had 30 days to live. We looked at that last week. Today, we're going to look at this series that I think last year was probably one of the more fun series that we did, but yet at the same time, it was very practical, extremely relevant, where life meets the road, if you will. The theme or the plot to this series called Sharks was how to deal with um, mean people, (laughs) difficult people, controlling people. How to deal with, like, critical people. You know the people I'm talking about. We, we, We call them, in this series, we call them land sharks, in fact, this series is a series that I, I want you just to kind of hold on to the difficult people part. And let me just talk to you for a second about sharks, especially like great white sharks. Great white sharks are phenomenal creatures, incredible just species of fish that, that have these hunting strategies that are absolutely just incredible. But sharks, especially great white, has the ability to smell a cup of blood three miles away. It's pretty, pretty huge. They also have the ability to swim at 20 miles per hour. They grow in excess of 20 feet. They weigh over 5,000 pounds. They have over 3,000 razor-sharp serrated teeth in their jaws. But you know, one of the most extraordinary things to me when it comes to great white sharks are their hunting strategies because they're antagonistic hunters. In fact, they do this thing um, that, that's kind of odd to me, but they will reveal themselves to their prey. They'll, they'll swim up and show themselves and kind of swim off to kind of like create fear, pandemonium, and maybe their prey will act kind of erratic and they'll be easier kill. And, and then they also do this thing called sample biting. It's kind of like what we humans do at the buffet. They, they swim up to their prey and they clamp onto their prey and they let their prey go just to kind of expose a little blood, taste a little flesh. And then they swim off and do their thing. And then as the prey is just kind of floundering in the water, not knowing what to do, kind of injured and, and, and bewildered and handicapped, they come back up for the real deal, the, the real kill, if you will. And, and with that thought in mind, I, sometimes I think, God, in his infinite wisdom and his ability to plan, I know this isn't true, but I know that sometimes I feel this way, that, that with all of the details that he's so good at, sometimes I feel like he's gone to sleep on, on the watch. 
And like I was supposed to take a right-hand turn, and instead of taking the right-hand turn because God didn't direct me, I went straight, and when I went straight, I ran smack dab into this beast of of an animal, this carnivorous, flesh-eating land shark. And they seemed to sink their, their teeth into us and rip shreds of flesh away from us. They go on this crazy feeding frenzy called critical remark after critical remark. You know what I'm talking about? It's like one critical remark after the other. It's like you're just not talented enough. You're not pretty enough. You're too short. You're too tall. You're too fat. You're a horrible soldier. You're a stinking student. You're a lousy wife. (sighs) You look fat in them jeans. You know those critical remarks. Those things that people say that every single time something comes out of their mouths, it just seems to have this negative twist or spin or or negative connotation. It's this ugly vitriol spewing out everywhere. How many of you know a a critical person? Raise your hand. Let's be honest. Your hand's real high. Now keep your hands up. How many of you are sitting beside of this critical person right now? Yeah, I see some people in the back talking about you better not raise your hand. <laughs> I, I don't want to start any fights this morning, but, but, but in all honesty, you know, those critical people, you know who I'm talking about, but you can't please them. doesn't matter what you try, how you act, it doesn't matter what you do, you, you just cannot seem to, to, to please them. And, and life is so difficult every time you get around them, and, and the fleshly side comes out in you, and you're like, God... With your omnipotent power, it would be awesome if you would come down and grab their tongue (laughs) and stretch it out like a bungee cord. (laughs) Wouldn't that be incredible? Maybe you're not sick like I am. I don't know. You know what would be incredible to me? I, I really think like this, and God forgive me, but and this would be on tape, and all the people listening on ESPN this morning will hear this, but but uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, God, in your power, why don't you come down and take the tongue and make a belt for me? <laughs> or, or, or make a pair of shoes so that I can walk on their tongue, you know? Okay, never mind. Um, but, but really, in all honesty, can, can I tell you something? This piece of meat right here, this two ounce slab of blab (laughs) can do some damage more so than any razor sharp serrated tooth could ever do in fact i don't know who the person was that wrote the nursery rhyme sticks and stones can break my bones but words will never hurt me they're an idiot (laughs) it's not true That's a lie. Words are very powerful. In fact, words have started wars. Words have ruined countries. Words have killed people. The Bible says that your tongue has the power of life and death. And and can I tell you this? Sometimes I think it would be easier for us to be bitten by a shark, a razor sharp serrated tooth and heal from it. 
maybe even lose a limb and heal from it. But there is something about that critical word that has been spoken into our lives maybe years ago that continues to reverberate in our spirits. How do we deal with that? What is it that we, we do with, with, with that, that critical thing, that critical comment that's been spoken into our lives? You see, the truth to the matter is that God is not letting his guard down and falling asleep on the watch. The truth to the matter is it is a matter of life uh, and a fact of life that you're going to have to deal with difficult people. In fact, it's a biblical thing. God didn't mean for you to necessarily be caught off guard, but, but it is a biblical thing that you will have to deal with difficult, critical people. In fact, this morning, I, I want to show you something this morning that maybe will help you. I want to look at a couple of scenarios in the life of Christ that will help you maybe feel better about who you are and where you are. Look with me at Luke chapter 13 first. And, I'm going to show you something. I think this is a beautiful piece of Scripture. I love this passage. Um, let me set this up for you. What you have happening here is, is you have Jesus who's kind of a midway in his ministry. And he's been invited to be a guest speaker at the synagogue. So he goes, which he usually is teaching and preaching on street corners or in houses. And now he's in the synagogue. And, and the Pharisees really practice this law of the Sabbath. It's a ceremonial law for them. They really observe it. No working on the Sabbath. And so Jesus, when he is teaching, there's this event that unfolds in the middle of church that I think is incredible. It says this in verse 10. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. I want you just to imagine that with me. She, she was bent over. Walking in into the church and it says she could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. I mean, you can see the compassion of Jesus. I mean, it's coming out. It's exuding out of him. And, and then verse 13, then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and began to praise God. Right in the middle of church, right in the middle of a synagogue revival is about to break out. It's an incredible thing. But look at verse 14 because I think verse 14 says a lot about the dynamics of that service that day. Indignant is the first word. Been out of shape. Here comes the sharks. Look what happens. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue rulers said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on one of those days, but not on the Sabbath. Wow. What a crazy thought to come to church on Sunday and be healed. It's just me. But look, the Lord said this. You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out and give water to it? And, and verse 16, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan... Now, I love when he did that because what he did was he tied her to the old covenant. He, he, he brought up the, the covenantal, old covenant agreement between God and Abraham. And then he said, she's one of Abraham's descendants and whom Satan has bound for 18 long years. Be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Now, look at verse 17. I love this. It says, when he said this, this is kind of like um, God coming down and pulling the tongue out. You know, 
Look, he says, when he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated. <laughs> I love that. Okay, it's just me. <laughs> but the people were delighted with all of the wonderful things that he did. How, how incredible is that? Here comes the critics. But yet, Jesus has this way of kind of outswimming the critics. Flip with me over to John chapter 11, verse 45. I'm going to show you something else. John chapter 11, verse 45. I, I think this is probably one of the most preached passages of Scripture in Christendom today. Lazarus, the one that Jesus loved, is dead. And we know the story. Jesus comes in and swoops in on the scene and talks about that he's the resurrection and the life. And, and then all of a sudden, he kind of calls into the grave and calls Lazarus out. And basically, he resurrects Lazarus. It, what it is, is it's a manifestation of resurrection. It's a manifestation, really, of what is to come for Jesus. It's kind of the precursor, if you will. So Lazarus comes out of the grave, and the Bible says that many, many, many people come to know Christ because of the event. Now, what's awesome is, can you imagine being there and seeing this happen and how excited everybody would be? You would think, man, this has got to be incredible. But look what happens in verse 45. Just as soon as Lazarus comes out of the grave, the plot to kill Jesus comes on the scene. It says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees, here comes the sharks, and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. Now look at verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. (laughs) What a thought. Everyone will believe in him. And verse 49, then one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, he spoke up. He said, you don't know anything at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Wow. Now, what's happening here? What's going on here? What we see is this event unfolding. And I kind of want you to understand What's going on is that it doesn't matter at times. You can do the right thing. You can do the most incredible thing. You can do the most beautiful thing. You can do the most extraordinary thing, the most wonderful thing. You can do the resurrection thing. You can take something that is dead and bring it back to life and and everybody is happy, but all of a sudden, you're criticized. You can do the right thing, but yet the critics will still come. Jesus had done the right thing, but yet here comes the critics. You see, here's the deal that I don't know if you noticed in verse 45 and 46, but when you begin to live your life and do your life the way Christ wants you to, two types of people come out. This isn't in your notes because all this changed last night at 3 in the morning. So (laughs) the deal is that two types of people come into your path. Those who are willing to help you and those who are willing to hurt you. Look at verse 45. Verse 45 says that many who saw Jesus do this came to know him, put their faith in him. Those are the people who want to help Jesus. But look at verse 46. But some saw it and ran to the Pharisees. Those are the people who want to hurt Jesus. You see, there are two types of people in your life. I want to deal with the latter. 
the ones that want to hurt you. You see, it's easy for us to embrace and to love on the people who love us. But how do we deal with the ones that treat us badly? The difficult people, the critical people in our lives. Because let me just say this to you, and I want everybody to listen. You're going to be criticized in your life. You're going to be criticized for what you do. You're going to be criticized for what you don't do. Moses was criticized for the woman that he married. Jesus was criticized for the message that he carried. You're going to be criticized. It's a fact of life. In fact, I want you to say this with me. I will be criticized, okay? On the count of three. I will, I said on the count of three. <laughs> One, two, three. I will be criticized. Again, on the count of three. One, two, three. You're going to be criticized in your life. How do you deal with it? You see, because I think for many of us, we have settled for a lesser existence than God ever intended because of a critical word that has been spoken into our lives in the past. A critical word that someone said to us has caused us to settle for a lesser existence because we've bought into that critical word. We've believed that critical word. And we've settled for a lesser existence than God ever intended. Or or maybe you're so scared of the critical bite that you don't do what God wants you to do. You kind of lay low and so you've settled for a lesser existence. Maybe someone, maybe your spouse said something about you. Maybe... Your boss, your commander, your kids, uh, your father, your mother said something about you that is reverberating in your ears. And all you can do is kind of flounder in life and swim around handicapped and injured and beaten up. And you feel like a piece of bait in the water waiting on the next strike. Can I ask you this question this morning? What has the critic bitten out of your life? What has the critic taken out of your life, stolen from you, that's caused you to operate in a lesser way than God intended? What is it? Let me preach this one today. What is it? Bow your heads, let me pray with you. Father, today we... uh, we connect with you. We love you, God. And I just ask you that you would just begin to speak these words into us today. Lord, may we leave this place different. May you unveil to us, peel back the layers of our heart, and may you penetrate even the hardest of places. And God, today we're going to deal with the critic. We're going to deal with that issue, but we're also going to heal our lives. So, Father, give us the strength to see your word, to hear it today, and to apply it in your wonderful name. Amen. Listen, let me take you to a passage of Scripture. Things kind of changed. I want you to flip over to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. I think for us, we need to understand how to um, recognize the critical people in our lives. And I think we also need to understand um, that maybe at times we're the critical shark. What are the characteristics of the critical shark? What do they look like? What do they act like? What do they smell like? What do they taste like? So I want to show you something because Paul kind of hit this thing head on. 
in Ephesians chapter 4, he went after the church at Ephesus because there was this land shark thing that was taking place. They were critical of one another. They were beating one another up. They were just basically robbing one another emotionally. And so Paul said, it's got to stop. And so look at uh, verse 29 of chapter 4. It says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. I want you to remember that statement. We're going to come back to it in a minute. That it may benefit those who listen. Verse 30. I I do not like verse 30. And let me tell you why. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, how can we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? By holding on to some of the things that he's going to mention in verse 31. Now, let me tell you something. When you grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will leave you. And when you lose this Holy Spirit, when you lose his presence in your life, you know what? You lose the ability to be guided the way God needs you to be guided. You lose the ability to walk the path that God wants you to walk. Because the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in John, is there to whisper into your ear, to counsel, to give you direction, to show you what is to come. So when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you lose that. You lose the ability to do your marriages the way God wants you to do, your kids, your finances. Everybody on the same sheet of music here? Give me a whoop, whoop. Okay, making sure. And and verse verse 31 says, here's what you've got to get rid of. Get rid of bitterness, get rid of rage, get rid of anger and brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And then hit the brakes. Forgiving each other. What a concept. Just as Christ God forgave you. Now, when I read this, let me just give you some quick characteristics of the land shark, if you will. They're in your worship directory, probably. You can fill in the blank. The first characteristic of the land shark is what I call the bite of abrasiveness. Sharks are known for their skin and how tough their skin is. In fact, if you've ever touched a shark, their skin is a lot like sandpaper. The ancient Egyptians would use their skin as sandpaper. And they use it in such a way that they swim up to their prey and they'll just actually bump into their prey and kind of nick their prey up and expose a little blood into the water. It's just an ugly way that they hunt. But Paul addresses this abrasiveness when he says you've got to get rid of some negative attitudes in your life you've got to get rid of rage you've got to get rid of anger you've got to get rid of bitterness you've got to get rid of slander you've got to get rid of what he's saying is this you've got to get rid of the negative views in in life you know those people who spew their vitriol and and every single time they they get around you they, they focus on the bad stuff in the world it's gloom it's doom It's agony, it's despair, and when you get around them, they seem to always focus upon the negative stuff in life. And so what happens is inside of them, it begins to well up, and then they take a big chunk of your flesh. And every single time you're around them, it feels as if your skin is being peeled off. You know what I'm talking about? They're just so negative, they're so abrasive. Well, can I tell you something? The Bible says that if you are negative in nature... That it's a heart condition. That there's something wrong with you. In fact, Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, it talks about, in Luke six forty five, it says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
You see, if negative stuff, critical stuff, is constantly coming out of your mouth, you've got a heart condition. You see, if, if you've totally given your life over to Christ, good things should come out of your mouth. God things should come out of your mouth. See, that's one of the first characteristics that you can tell when a person is, has the critical nature. They have this abrasive bite. Here's the second thing. They have this bite of jealousy. Now, now this is a big one. And I want to explain this biblically and naturally. The biblical answer is that God says, in fact, Solomon writes in Proverbs, that jealousy will rot you from the inside out. It will actually, it says, decay your bones or rot your bones. So we become so jealous that we begin to explode on the inside or die or decay on the inside and we begin to give out jealous bites to other people. Like, like men, let me, let me just put you on the hook here for a second. We tend to do this, you know it, you've had it happen to you, maybe you've done it to someone else. We, we buy a brand new rifle, brand new shotgun, a, a brand new set of golf clubs, a, a brand new car, whatever it is, I want you to put it in your mind. You're excited about it, you've been saving for a long, long time and you're just, man, you're stoked. So you call your best friend and say, hey, listen, you know, I've been saving for this. I want you to come by and see it, man. It's just so awesome. I can't believe God blessed me this way. And so they come by and see it. And, and when your friend steps up in front of you, uh, they're like, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's, that, that's real nice. Um, actually, you know, I'm kind of saving my money up for something a little better, but that's nice. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you ladies are laughing like, yeah, that's men. That's the way they are. But ladies, you're not off the hook. <laughs> because sometimes you're even worse. Let a lady get a pair of shoes that you already have. Woo. Or a dress that you want. Or, or better yet, maybe one of your great friends gets her hair cut and she cuts it all short. And, and, and so she calls you to come see it and she gets it all highlighted and all fixed and good. And so you, you go over and you really, you have this desire to have short hair, but you don't have the courage to do it. And, and so when you go over there, you really absolutely love it. And you wish that you had the courage to do it, but you don't. And so you look at it and say, it looks good on you, but I, I just don't like short hair. You know what I'm talking about. It isn't that you don't like short hair. You're jealous that she had the courage to do something that you didn't have to do, the courage to do. And so you, you know, you just kind of spew it out there. Then there's a, another, um, another characteristic. It's, it's the bite of sarcasm. Now, this is a big one. In fact, um, Paul, look down in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. You should still be there. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, Paul says there's also something else that you've got to get rid of. He says, nor should there be any coarse joking in your life. Now, guys, this is where we really, really get in trouble. The word coarse joking in the original Greek, it, it actually means sarcastic comments. You know, those things that we say, we, those little jabs, those little digs, we just go after people. We say things, and, and we say them in jest, and we slap them on the back as if we're joking, but you know what you're saying you really mean. Like, like you know, you're hanging out with, with your friend, and, and you say, you know what, you're not as bad as people say you are. You're worse. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. Now, you know that you mean it. Sarcasm. 
Or ladies, you're hanging out with your friends and your kids are playing together and everything's looking all hunky-dory and, and all of a sudden their kids are like just hellacious and, and just difficult and, and oh. And so as they're playing together, you look at your friend whose kids are acting up and you say, you know what? Looking at your kids, I kind of realize now why some animals eat their young. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it. I'm just giving you what you say. Sarcasm. Paul says to get rid of that junk because it is absolutely killing people, killing relationships. And and then there's the one called the lack of tact. That is the the spite uh, that people may be saying something that's true to you, but they have no tact at all. You know, they just come in and they say things that may be right, but they say it in the wrong way. And, and, and they're like a bull in the china shop, or, or in this case, a great white feeding on a seal. And, and they just come in and just rearrange your life because they have no tact. And, and then there's this last one. I think it's the fifth one. It's what I call the bite of, of premeditators. Bite, I think, or something. The bite of premeditation. You've heard of predator. Well... I want you to look at something with me. In verse 31, everybody look there. What Paul says something here. He says, get rid of bitterness, anger, slander, rage, and every form of malice. You see that word malice? That word malice in the Greek is the word kakia, which means to actually premeditate or give thought to injuring someone with a critical word. Wow. You know those people that premeditate or plot out how they're going to get you back? Or maybe it's how you're going to get them back? Listen, let me just tell you something. All of these characteristics are signs that we have to look for. They're things that we have to deal with. And some of you right now are saying, well, well Mark, how, how do I deal with that? I, I recognize it. I even see that I'm some of those things. So how is it that I deal with it? Well, let me give you real quick some biblical principles that will allow you or enable you to outswim the critical shark in your life. I want you just to follow along here with me. Take some notes here because you'll be able to use this in life, I promise you. The very first thing that you must do if you want to overcome the critical person in your life, because it's going to happen, is that you've got to realize that not all criticism is bad. You've got to decide what criticism is constructive. You've got to make a choice and look at and determine if criticism is actually constructive. One of the things that I absolutely believe with all of my heart is that many of us will never become who God intended for us to be because we are not willing to listen to constructive criticism. It's difficult. So how do we listen to constructive criticism? Well, first you've got to determine if the person who's bringing the critical word has a pure motive. Are they there to help you or to hurt you? Remember the two types of people? Are they there to help you or are they there to hurt you? Let me give you kind of a, uh, an everyday analogy. Let's say that you're on a diet and, and, and as you're on that diet, somebody comes up to you and says, um, Hey, listen, I understand you're on a diet and so am I. And um, I've been doing this walking thing and it's really working for me. And so I just thought I would ask you if you'd like to join me in walking. Maybe we'll walk together. It's probably a good thing for you to listen to that person because it sounds like their motives would be pure. 
But if somebody walks up to you and says, hey, you better put that milkshake down because them jeans look horrible on you. (laughs) That may not be someone you want to listen to. You see, constructive criticism can be a good thing. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 15, you don't turn there. It's going to be on the overheads on the screens behind me. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31, an incredible word about constructive criticism. It says this. It says, if you listen to a life-giving rebuke, what is that? That's constructive criticism. A life-giving rebuke. That is constructive criticism. Then where does it say you'll be? It says you will be at home among the wise. How many of you want to be wise? Wow. Well, the rest of 31 and 32 says that if you reject this type of criticism, that you'll only harm yourself. You see, we've got to be willing to listen to constructive criticism, constructive criticism because I believe truthfully, honestly, that many times we miss the mark that God wants us to be on because we're not willing to listen to someone who's willing to help us. Every Sunday afternoon, let me just be frank with you, I go home and in the quietness of our house, which is very seldom, but, but we try to make that happen. And on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, I, I sit down with my wife and say, baby, give me the good, bad, and the ugly of the day. Tell me what, what you thought. How, how did this go over? How did that work? How, how did we look here? How did I do with this? What did you think about that? And let me tell you something. It's, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes, I'm, you remember the shark tooth that I gave away last fall? Sometimes I'm like holding up the shark tooth, waving it at her. Land shark. But when I sit down and I really listen to the words that she's speaking into my life, I realize that it's very constructive. We do the same thing with the staff every Tuesday morning. We break apart the weekend service from before, and we talk about the things that happened, the activities and the services on the weekend, and we, how did we fail? What did we do right? What do we need to build on? Listen, why do we do that? Because we want to maximize our God-given potential. That's what we want to do. And the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. That's the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to determine whether the criticism is constructive or not. Here's the second thing you've got to do. And I'm going to begin to move out. The second thing is you've got to do this thing called the dump. That's when you take all of, and now let me just be honest with you, this is very difficult, but it's extremely important because criticism kind of sticks to us like flies do flypaper. paper. <laughs> It's just there. You just can't hardly get rid of it. So what do you have to do? You've got to take all that invalid criticism, put it in in, in a dump truck, if you will, figuratively, symbolically, and and just kind of beep, 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 beep. You didn't like my analogy. You with me? And dump the junk that builds up in your life. In fact, when I was thinking about this last night as I was kind of closing down and praying for today, I, I began to think about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer was talking about all these phenomenal people that had this incredible faith and were able to accomplish great things for God. And then he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, in other words, he's tying chapter 11 to chapter 12, and then he says a directive to us. He says, all of the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before you. He says, throw off everything that entangles you. What is everything? 
Everything is anything that will keep you from being who God called you to be. That's what everything is. Everything that keeps you from acting the way God needs you to act. And let me tell you something. Criticism can do that to you. You've got to consider the source. When people are criticizing you, if they're constantly throwing the bombs of jealousy and sarcasm and this and that and abrasiveness and, and lack of tact, if it's constantly coming at you, you've got to put it in the dump truck and do the dump. You've got to. It, it's a must. Or if someone comes up to you and, and, and out of emotional hardship, they begin to criticize you. Let me tell you something. Everybody listen to me right here. Hurt people, hurt people. And if they've got a hard spot in their relationship, they'll go after your relationship. If they have a hard spot in their finances, they'll criticize your finances. If they have a hard spot in their jobs, they'll criticize your job, your marriage. You see, when you become effective, you can be an effective school teacher and you'll be criticized. You can be an effective employee and you'll be criticized. You can be an effective business owner, you'll be criticized. You can be an effective soldier and you'll be criticized. An effective lawyer and you'll be criticized. An effective doctor and you'll be criticized. An effective pastor. We're drawing the line. You'll be criticized. In fact, Jesus was criticized and bombarded, and what did he do? He never stopped his forward momentum. He did not let it drag him down. It did not let it handicap his life. We've got to continually dump stuff that does not need to pile up on us. And here's the last thing. The last thing is this. If you must respond to someone who is critical, choose not to chew but to cheer. Don't respond to them the way they act towards you. That's easier said than done, but that's a must. Choose to cheer people on. If you have to respond to to someone and, and their vitriol and their ugliness, choose not to respond to them the way they are to you. In fact, we're going to close down with, with this. Look back at Ephesians 4.29. I don't like this part of the verse. I told you we'd come back to it. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for others. You see that? For building them up. Then it says something that I don't like because it's the application part. But it says, according to their needs. You know what Paul's saying? Is that you have to keep in mind that even critical sharks have needs. And when you speak back to them, you've got to understand that a soft answer turneth away wrath. You've got to understand that they have a need, and you just very well may be the only person who can bring them out of the misery of criticism and how you respond. You see, so that means sometimes we're going to have to take some digs. We're going to have to learn how to deal with it. And don't answer them the way they are interacting with you. And, and I, let me just turn it to the marriage as our pianist comes back. Let me just talk about relationship real quick. Because all over this place today, balcony, everywhere, th- this is a fact for some of you. And that is that in your marriages, you're critical of one another. 
You don't know where it started or when it started. It's been going on so long, and one person is critical of the other, and one back and forth and back and forth. Can I tell you something? If you don't stop it, it is going to take every bit of the life in your relationship out, and it's gonna be, you're going to be left with nothing but, but death. You're going to destroy your marriage, your relationships. If you're criticizing your kids... And love on your kids. Be constructive with your kids. Be constructive with your spouse. Build people. Use this blab or this slab of blab in a way that's going to build people up. Especially in your marriage. So cheer people on. Not chew. Use some wholesome talk. Last thing I want to say to you is this. Your mouth is the video screen of your heart. I want you to think about life that way. This is the thought for the day. Your mouth is the video screen of your heart. If you don't like the movie change your heart if you don't like what's playing change your heart you see some of you in here today you are carrying around so much baggage from things that people have spewed upon you this two ounce slab of blab has done so much damage to you uh, that you're just floundering and you're injured and you're flailing in the water and you're just waiting on the next attack. Today is a day that I believe, honestly, that God wants to deal with that. And more importantly, He wants to heal that. Today's your day. Now is your time. Can I tell you something? Negative words have been spoken over you for far too long. And today is the day that you come and bury it. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. And rise up and become the person that God has called you to be. Stand to your feet and bow your heads.